All right. Good evening. Good morning. Good day, depending on which time zone you're in. Good to see you and good to see you again. For those who have been in one of our live streams before. So my name is Darren Joseph, and we're going to talk about taxes for location independent entrepreneurs or digital nomads. So how we normally deal with it. Oh, just a little bit of housekeeping. This is being recorded, which means if you do not want your image to be recorded, you can keep your camera off. In addition to which in the lower, well, depending on which platform you're in, because this is also being uh, live streamed on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter as well. So depending on what platform you're in, if you're on Zoom, that's pretty easy. You can just type in the box below. Yes, Dave, we will be recording it. And the recording will be on our website, hg.tax, as well as our YouTube channel, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud, on wherever you prefer to get your favorite podcasts. That's where it's going to be. So it's going to be pretty much everywhere. So you, you can look for it uh, in a few days' time. So, so yeah, if you have any comments, you can do like Dave and you can type in the chat below. If you're on one of the other platforms, feel free to type in the comment box below and I will be checking it periodically. So the way we normally do this for those who have not been here before is that I'll just go through a few slides to call out a few concepts, well, six concepts basically that I, I think will be useful takeaways. And then we go into Q&A, which is more or less a discussion. So uh, as I go along, feel free to type uh, your, your, your comments. Or if you comment, some people feel, you know what, it's kind of hard to type it all out. So I'll just talk. So once we get to the Q&A section, you can just unmute yourself. And you can explain what your, what your thoughts are or what your comments are. And then we just take it from there. Okay. So without further ado, I will share my screen. All right. Here we go. So my name is Darren Joseph and my colleague Hannah and I were part of Moore's role in Asia Pacific, which is your usual full service accounting firm. We do all the boring stuff that you would expect an accounting firm to do, right? No need for overplaying that. I have been based in Singapore since 2013, since October 2013. Now, because I am U.S. qualified, I'm legally required to remind you that nothing I say here should be construed as advice. Consider this an educational or perhaps an entertainment uh, an ent entertainment live stream. If it is that you're looking for actual tax consulting advice and you're going to uh, close this window and then go off and make a financially binding decision, no, 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 no. I may be a tax consultant, but I'm not your tax consultant, which means I know nothing about you and your unique circumstances. So you should not take advice unless someone is qualified and has been retained by you and understands your situation inside out. So nothing we say here should be construed as advice. Nothing we say here should be construed as encouraging you to pay less than your fair share of taxes in any jurisdiction which you're exposed. Yeah, in writing, right? So six takeaways, but you know, it's just conversation starters more or less. As, and as I said before, as, as thoughts come to you, feel free to just type it in the comment box below. So whoops, flag theory. So I'm aware that in some jurisdictions, for example, Singapore, Malaysia, London, there are companies that call themselves flag theory. But originally, our understanding is that flag theory is a concept that started in the 1950s with this guy who was writing about basically diversifying your lifestyle. And what does that mean? It means not having all your eggs in one basket. So where you may be a citizen may be different from where you are actually resident, maybe different from where you store your wealth, maybe different from where you've incorporated your company, and so on and so on and so on. So it's about having that diversified lifestyle. So, but you know, it isn't meant to be prescriptive because I've heard people say, well, you know, there's six flags. What is your fifth flag? You know, no, one size could never fit all. So for some people, you know what, two flags are good or one flag may be okay. 
Uh, for some people, they may need seven or eight. So it's about understanding what your unique circumstances are and crafting a plan to suit what your situation is and what your uh, ultimate objectives may be. And your situation is always different from the guy next door. Fake news. Well, <laughs> we never grow tired of going into, especially like some Facebook groups and watching people taking binding, legally binding advice from others who may be well-meaning. These people really have a big heart, but they're not qualified to do so. And they have neither license nor have any professional liability insurance. And they put a lot of people in trouble. They put a lot of people in trouble. Uh, but, you know, that, that's just the way things evolve, I guess. But I think anybody who's properly qualified uh, cautions against it. But they do so with sort of like mixed emotions because, you know, anybody who's being completely honest with you, they're going to, uh, any professional, tax professional, they're going to tell you that, hey, we probably make more money from cleaning up uh, a mess than we do from helping people do things the right thing in the first place, uh, do things the right way in the first place. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, common misconceptions. We're going to talk about place of effective management later on, but like e-residency programs, you know, despite the, the name, it's not really an immigration program. It's not residency. It's e-government. So there's a lot of misunderstanding around uh, jurisdictions like Estonia with e-government. There are those who give and talk about tax planning with total disregard to immigration rules, for example. We see that in jurisdictions like Bali or Thailand, when Thailand used to be open anyway. So, you know, you need to pay attention to immigration rules. And then sometimes tax schemes. There's a reason why, uh, like, for example, the U.S. tax code, the federal level is like 8 million words. And then you have 50 different states with each state having hundreds of thousands, if not millions of words per state. Uh, similarly, in most countries, a simple tax code is hundreds of thousands of words, but the basic ones are millions of words. So if someone could summarize that in a paragraph, good on them, because that borders on impossible. So we see a lot of misunderstanding around, uh, for example, Portugal, NHR, uh, Spain, uh, Beckham Law, or you know the new situation in Indonesia or Bali with the omnibus bill. So, you know, people, I guess someone may have seen a soundbite somewhere uh, and they think that, okay, well, you can live in Portugal and pay no taxes, or I can live in Bali and only, and once I bank outside of Bali, uh, I don't have to pay taxes in Indonesia. There's a lot of misunderstanding, but that's why I think it's super important to always uh, consult some uh, professional. So anyway, and of course that, that uh, long running debate as to whether you can just keep moving and pay no taxes. The quick answer to that, and we could discuss it later is yeah, you can, I've seen it done, but it is extremely difficult and most people get in trouble because it's not about balancing only tax rules, but also banking rules and banking rules are becoming more and more sophisticated and aggressive as well. So you need to think about things like FATCA, if you're US exposed or CRS, Common Reporting Standard, Automatic Exchange of Information, uh, AML, KYC rules, which means for those who prefer to try to not pay taxes, they're gonna get in trouble at some point in time, but you know, yeah, to each her, to each her own or his own or whatever. So moving on, when we come to taxes, I think everyone is pretty clued up on direct taxes. So if you, if you have a company, that company may have to pay corporate tax if you, and when you as an individual get a distribution from that company, then you pay personal income taxes based on that. But what is less well understood are indirect taxes. So like uh, VAT and the EU, sales and use taxes in the US, GST in Singapore. So basically sales taxes in Malaysia. So basically taxes that you as a service provider or a seller of a physical product need to collect from your clients or customers and then pass on 
to the tax authority in the relevant jurisdictions. So, you know, just a heads up, double check it, make sure that you are compliant if needs be. <clears throat> Place of effective management, I promise that we will take a slightly deeper dive into this and here we are. Just because you're resident in one jurisdiction doesn't necessarily mean that if you incorporate a company somewhere else, that that the income derived from that company is tax-free. Most companies have most countries, sorry, or jurisdictions have a test around management and control or mind and management. Basically, that means that if you're sitting in Bali or if you're sitting in Thailand and you are running a company that may be incorporated in Hong Kong or the UAE or whatever. The point is that you're running that company from within their borders and most jurisdictions reserve the right to tax that company as if it were domestic. So they look through the fact that it was incorporated elsewhere and they say, we don't care. You're running that company from within our borders and therefore the place of effective management is within our borders and we want to tax that company. We reserve taxing rights on that company. So, so please keep that in mind as you do your own tax planning. And we can talk. We can talk more on the, the concept of nexus later on, if, if that's of interest to, to people. But what I'll do now is talk about the just high level on the rest of the world. Uh, the U.S. is always a special case. Yeah, we don't need to say that. So the U.S. is perhaps that one standout jurisdiction aside from Eritrea that. It is basically impossible to break tax residency without giving up your passport, without giving up your green card. Just in most other countries, by virtue of taking certain steps and being outside and doing certain things when you're outside of their country, you sever tax residence with your country of origin. Not with the US. It just doesn't happen. And you know, people talk about there's a lot of misunderstanding around the foreign income exclusion and stuff like that. No. <laughs> it doesn't work. In some circumstances, if you make as little as $5 outside, you need to file a tax return. So many people, especially lower income earners, don't have to pay, but you certainly have to file. So I'll just leave that there. For those who are from Kanzuk, so Canada, Australia, New Zealand, UK, now, and you know, there's certain fallback rules or center of life rules and that are really tightening up. What, what that means is that they're kind of heading in the direction of the US. So, you know, Canada, the Canadian Revenue Authority or the Australian Tax Office, you know, the HMRC in the UK, they're taking the view that, uh, yeah, we understand that you have not been on our soil for months, if not years, but under certain circumstances, we still reserve the right to tax you. So it's heading in the direction of, 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 the, of the US. So again, get professional advice, you know, double check it. Don't think just because you're outside that you're free and clear because there may be a big surprise waiting on you should you ever decide to visit or to return home, home, right? Then there's the EU. And again, there are fallback rules and mainly center of life rules. So even though you may not be in your country of origin again, that doesn't necessarily mean that you automatically cease to be tax resident there. So it's always worth double checking just to make sure. The rest of the world might be laughing. They might be thinking, ha ha ha, I'm not European. I don't believe, I don't uh, belong to, you know, the US or Canada, Australia, New Zealand, UK. I'm good, I'm clear, right? Well, not necessarily because of what we mentioned, right? Banking rules. So even though your, the tax rules of your country of origin mean that you have done the right things, you've checked all the right boxes and you're free and clear, there are still um, a lot of other rules that mean that it's typically in your best interest to choose another jurisdiction, plant a flag there, remember flag theory, and declare tax residence there. And I, I like to give the example of we're a client who was, uh, I guess he's a popular DJ, but I, I'm not into techno. So anyway, so he made decent money 
playing at clubs uh, in certain parts of Asia. Won't be too specific, just in case somebody here knows who he is. Uh, but he is not originally from Asia. He's originally from Europe. And something happened and he needed to go back home to his European country of origin, take care of his mom. His mom wasn't doing too well. So physically he can return because he still has a passport, right? He has a valid passport, he can fly back. But he had a problem that when he tried to remit money back to his uh, country of origin for whatever expenses that he was incurring, his bank blocked it. And this is his bank that he had it like since he was a, a child. They knew him all his life, but their, their position is we understand, we know you, but we don't know where this money has come from. Prove to me that this money's clean. So, so he's like, well, check my website. I'm, you know, I'm real. I, you know, I don't do anything illegal. Uh, you know, they understand, but there's little that they can do because the banks are becoming increasingly constrained in how, you know, how they allow, especially flows from outside of their, of their borders, or even sometimes transactions within borders. They want to see not just, um, obviously some sort of invoice or some sort of receipt, but if it's out from outside, you know, prove that it's tax, you know, show me a tax return, show me something that evidences that this money has been legitimately earned and, you know, give anybody five minutes and they can go on Microsoft Excel and they can create a receipt or an invoice. So that's not good enough. Sometimes they want to see a government document. So, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So we can get into that if, if there's any interest later on. So obviously, well, I think obviously what it should be pretty clear is that it's really unusual that you get one person who knows all this stuff inside. I don't know everything. And I think anybody who claims to know everything is being exceedingly dishonest, right? So I'm fortunate enough to be part of a great team. And what I don't know, one of my colleagues may know, uh, you know, one of my associates would know. So we, we lean on each other. And especially for those people who may be exposed in multiple jurisdictions, it's important that your team has expertise in multiple jurisdictions to be able to address uh, what those cross-border tax matches may be. Now, now we get into the fun part, the discussion part. So I see people have been writing comments below. So, yep, I will answer them in the order in which I'm seeing them right now. Uh, first one I'm seeing, do you have to be tax resident of a particular country or can you be tax resident of no country? So yeah, good question. That's exactly what we're talking about. That's a huge argument. And I see people go on and on and on in certain forums and good for them. You know, it's, it's really up to you as an individual. What I can tell you is you need to understand not just the tax rules. So for some countries, there are fallback rules. So like certain European countries, uh, an extreme case like uh, Italy, for example, have an Italian client and Italy recently passed some rules that say, you know what? If you go and you live in a tax-free tax haven, like if you're in uh, the UAE in Dubai, or if you're in Malaysia under, let's say the MM2H or a similar program, something that means that you're living tax-free somewhere, the Italian government reserves the right to tax you just as if you were still in Italy, even though you're not in Italy, you have not been back, you've been outside for a number of years. Similarly, the ATU in Australia will say, okay, we understand you and, uh, you know, you're outside, you're doing what you think, but prove to me that your property domicile somewhere else. Let's see a rental contract. Let's see uh, utility bills. Let's see a tax, you know, that you're paying taxes somewhere else. Somehow prove to me that you're properly settled somewhere else. And if you can't, your country of origin reserves the right to, to continue to tax you. So, so that's one thing, the fallback rules. The second thing you need to consider is if you're independently wealthy, and you know, live off a trust fund or whatever, that's fine. And we do have clients that are so fortunate, but for most people, they have to be working and they have investments and they need to be doing something. So even though you may be uh, not in any one particular country, that money is being earned somehow, somewhere, and chances are it needs to be taxed. So, 
you need to pay attention to the rules. Uh, remember, we spoke about the place of effective management or minded management. If you're running a company from within somebody else's borders, even though it's incorporated somewhere else, even though it's been banked somewhere else, chances are they're going to want to tax it, right? And then two, the, the rules around tax residency and counting days and stuff like that. Before in the pre, I can't say the word, otherwise it gets edited, right? So before the health crisis, and you know what I mean by that. So before the health crisis, people could be doing visa runs and they could be moving frequently and, and whatever. So therefore, technically they can legally avoid triggering tax residency, but now not so much, right? Uh, most people can't move around that quickly. So therefore, by default, you must be deemed, you may be deemed to be resident somewhere. So, and then of course, you're the banking, you have the banking rules, which we discussed, which means that yes, even if you beat all those uh, issues or factors or criteria that I mentioned previously, banks want to see tax documents to prove to me that this money has been earned legally. And I know you have a website. I know you can show me receipts. Sorry, don't trust them. Give anybody five minutes on WordPress and they have a website, two minutes on Excel, they have receipts, right? So um, we need something more substantial. Show me a document that evidences that this money has been taxed. And if you can't, your money can get frozen. So the long and short of that is you can try to be tax resident nowhere, but in 99.9999% of the time, it will eventually bite you. So hope that helps you in making that decision. Moving on. How do you become tax resident of another country? Just get a tax ID from the authority of that country. Now, each country has its own rules. I know people speak very generally and they paint with a really broad brush, 183 days. Yeah, but you know, as we said, there's a reason why bureaucrats sit down and they write millions of words about tax codes to make them very nuanced. So therefore they are very nuanced. So I think you need to pay attention to the rules of the country that you seek tax residence in. So there are countries where, you know, you can, for example, <laughs> trigger tax residency in Australia or yeah, let's, let's pick Australia. You know, you may be an Australian permanent resident. You have Australian PR. You may have an Australian passport, but you're not there, but you can still remain resident in Australia, right? And similarly in Europe, you can still remain tax resident there, even though you're not there, just uh, file returns. And you, you know, you already have legal status there. So you can't, even though you're not there. Whereas some countries require at least some physical presence, depending on your visa category as well, depending on your, you know, whatever your status is, your legal status is in that country. So stepping back, I'd say, yeah, 183 days, but one size can't fit all. You need to figure out the nuances of the specific country in which you would like to be tax resident. Next question. How do you get the tax authority of the previous country to allow you to just to be a non-resident? Uh, whether you show them your new country's tax ID, that's a great question. Uh, that's, a, that's a really, really great question. It really depends. <laughs> Sorry to say that, but it, it really does, right? So every country, again, they write hundreds of thousands, at least, if not millions of words about tax code, and it, it would vary. So some countries are stickier than others. So like on one extreme, we have uh, United States where they're not going to give you up unless you give up your passport and or green card, right? Or what, all green card, whatever it is you have. You must sever um, immigration and tax residency and then they'll let you go. And even so, you may have to pay an exit tax depending on your situation. And then there are other countries like say in the EU, various European countries, or Canada, you need to just file certain paperwork with the tax authority to say, hey, I'm no longer here. But more specifically, like let's say Canada or, or wherever, you may need to indicate where are you? Or oh, Australia, right? We talk about Australia, where are you? I mean, okay, you're not here, but where are you? Where are you gonna be, right? So 
and the burden of proof, again, it varies by jurisdiction. Some of them would just, you know, just fill it out in the form and you sign under penalty of perjury and they accept your word, but they do reserve the right to audit. So this, if anyone that looks a bit funny or they take a random sample and they just double check to make sure that you, you're telling the truth. And so, you know, show me some proof, but uh, often enough, just indicating where your new residences would be enough. But the, the, the point is that paperwork needs to be filed and certain procedures need to be followed, uh, especially around those countries that have center of life tests to make sure that you can demonstrate that you have properly severed tax residency with that country that you're leaving and establish residency in the country that you're moving to. Next question. If you have residency, e-residency in Estonia, you pay 20% corporate tax, but then what, what about in your home jurisdiction? Hmm. No, right. So Estonia is always a funny one, right? It depends on your facts and circumstances, obviously. If it is, you know, most people that you would speak to who have the e-residency and have an Estonian company, they don't necessarily live in Estonia full time. So then, then the, you lead yourself to that question, well, where are you? If you're not in Estonia, where are you? And you need to understand that because remember uh, management, management and control, minded management, uh, if the place of effective management, you know, remember we discussed that a bit earlier. So where are you running that company? Where are you running that Estonian company? If you're running that Estonian company from Bali, for example, then Indonesia reserves the right to tax that company as if it were an uh, Indonesian company. If you're sitting in Malaysia and running that company, even though Malaysia is territorial tax, and you may think to yourself, oh, I'm going to go chill in Penang or, or whatever, Langkawi. I'm going to run my company from there. Okay, I'll... I understand that, but if you, if my, uh, you know, the Income Tax Act in Malaysia asks about management and control, and management and control of that Estonian company is in Malaysia. So Malaysia reserves the right to tax that company, even though the proceeds from that company never come into Malaysia, they reserve the right to tax it. Or you go to, I don't know, uh, you know, anywhere, you know, most places, unless there's a particular exclusion carved out, most places they'll ask the question, where is that company run? And from, you know, and for many people that we would meet, they're entrepreneurs. So, or even though they may have employees, they don't really have employees. They call them employees, but they're independent contractors, right? So you have people that work for you, but they're not your employee because there's no contract for employment valid under the local legislation. So that, that's what you have. So basically it chances are it's you alone in this Estonian company and you have no, what we call substance in Estonia. There's no economic substance in Estonia. So therefore to make the argument that it is just an Estonian company becomes tenuous, if not impossible. So to answer your question, I'm sorry for being so long-winded to answer your question. Yes, it would be assuming because, you know, Estonia allows you to carry forward uh, without, unless you're going to take a distribution, you don't need to do the audit and you don't need to pay corporate tax, right? But assuming that you do want to take money out and you want to take a distribution, then it won't only be subject to taxes in Estonia. You need to think, think about corporate taxes wherever you have been running that company, assuming that it's not from Estonia. In addition to which, if you've been based somewhere, it's not just corporate tax, but personal tax as well. You know, because you, you know, you know, depends on how you took it out of the Estonian company, whether you took it out as a salary, whether you took it out as dividends or whatever, it may be taxed there as well. So you're looking at personal and corporate taxes wherever you are in addition to taxes in Estonia. Okay, going down the list. US green card holders to tax in their worldwide income. What about US B1 visas? So the United States is, <laughs> United States is always sort of like a tricky place, right? There are over like 130, 135 visa categories and each from, and that's an immigration, because remember in most countries, immigration law is separate from tax law. So each immigration status may or may not have tax implications. 
So generally speaking, B1, B2 would not automatically trigger U.S. taxes unless you have what is called substantial presence under Section 7701 of the tax code. So assuming that you stay out of the U.S., the B1 or B1, B2 visa category normally doesn't trigger a U.S. tax liability. But if you do have a U.S. green card, which is a common name for lawful permanent residence, so if you're a lawful permanent resident in the U.S., even though you may not you may have been outside of the U.S. for 10, 15, 20 years, you have a green card, you are still subject to U.S. taxes in your worldwide income. Even though that green card expired, you're still subject to taxes in your worldwide income. Even though you lost it, it was stolen, you're still subject to taxes in your worldwide income. We've heard it all, and the answer is the same. Unless you properly relinquish it and you have a, an I-407 to evidence that you have prop, you properly relinquished it, your chances are you may be still subject to U.S. taxes on your worldwide income. Okay, moving down the list, what are the possible scenarios and their like and their implications legally and tax-wise to conducting a program that involves five expats working together to share the profits? I'm an American currently living in Oman and will be repatriating next year. The others are Brazilian living in Italy, British living in Mexico, German living in Germany, blah, blah, blah. I thought about setting up a single member LLC in the US and having freelance contracts with each. Alternatively, a multi-member LLC or partnership or setting it up in another country. Many thanks. Okay. You know what I'm going to say. Come on, you know what I'm going to say. It depends. So it really does depend. So what is the nature of this trade or business? So, okay, what is the nature of the trade? Where are the customers going to be? So remember, we're, not, we talk, we're thinking about taxes in general. So you have direct taxes and you have indirect taxes. Uh, I noticed that some people may or may not be exposed to certain European countries. So therefore, there may or may not be uh, social charges around their involvement. There may or may not be VAT. Uh, around their involvement as, as well. Uh, if their clients in, in the EU or in certain jurisdictions, there may be social charges, there may be VAT. Uh, if it is a physical product in the US, there would be sales and use taxes as well. Uh, let's see what else, blah, blah, blah. So it, 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 really, it really depends on what the business model is. Uh, and if you have a single member, if you have a, an LLC and having freelance contracts with each, um, that, I mean, it depends on what the end game is. So then you as the US person, you're going to pay taxes on that uh, and you leave them to manage their tax situation on their own. You can do that. So it, it really depends. So in a situation like this, you know what? I would say that we need to see you know, ideally a pitch deck that says if, because it looks like a startup, right? So what exactly is the business model? What are your projections are where your customers likely to be, you know, what is the nature of the physical product or service? And then once we see that and we understand which jurisdictions are in play, we'd be, we, or whoever it is, whichever team that you decide to work with would be able to advise accordingly. But uh, with, countries that you have called, the US, uh, Germany, uh, well, Mexico is, well, Italy as well. These are countries that are pretty clued up when it comes to tax. So there's no, it's not easy to fly under the radar. You wanna get this right. So I'd say, put together your plan, get something in writing that structures out exactly what it is you're imagining and what exactly you wanna achieve, what your goals are, especially. And then once you have that drafted, then you take that to a tax team or tax professional and you start the conversation there. So I know it sounds tenuous, but get it in writing first and then take it to someone because then you get the best out of them too. I've had, had someone uh, in Bali a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, he, he gave me two lines of what he wants. Could you help me save on taxes? Yeah, but we need to understand, look, what are you doing? Like, what is the nature of your business? What are your goals? What are your objectives? How much is it? Because there are different thresholds and whatever. Where are the customers? Where are your suppliers based? 
you know, you know, what is the nature of the shipping arrangements? But yeah, so it, it, it really is a lot more involved. People think it's like Harry Potter, you know, you just wave a wand and you say a magic word and then you save on taxes. No, the devil is in the details. The more detail you give to your tax professional, the more they're able to help you. The less you tell him or her, the more likely you are to have problems later on. Hope that helps. Next one. I'm Canadian. I'm not a tax resident in Canada. Good. I trade stocks for a living. It's not a company. And I never stay more than three months in the same place. Where's the best place to file your taxes? Well, it, <laughs> come and say up to me, it depends, right? So most countries, if you, if you trading equities, right? And you, they'll be, the, the income is going to be taxed at source. So for example, uh, I guess the, the most lucrative uh, equities market in the world is the U.S., right? So if you've been investing as an investor in the U.S., then, you know, if when you get your dividends or your interest as a non-American, it'll be subject to 30% withholding. So that's where you're paying taxes. They're going to keep it, they're going to withhold before it gets to you. And I imagine the same in most European countries with Australia, New Zealand, there's going to be withholding before it leaves the country. So before it's remitted to you, there will be holding, withholding. So that's, it's going to be taxed at source. Under certain circumstances, like in the U.S., capital gains, if it is that you, it depends on what you're in game, are you, are you investing for the dividend yield or is the real, uh, you, you just want to flip, right? So you want to invest and then you watch it go higher and then you, you sell and you enjoy that, that delta between what you paid for it and what the profit may be. So that capital gains. So that is actually tax-free to non-residents. So, okay. So it depends. So just generally speaking, more often than not, your investment income will be taxed at source. Now, from a Canada perspective, we mentioned that the CRA is particularly and I have an, you can visit our website, hcj.tax, click on blog, and then type in Canada. Because what I did is I not just quoted some of the CRA rules, but some of the recent cases in Canada. Because you may think, oh, well, I looked at the CRA website, I'm good. And I filled in the paperwork, ha ha ha, I'm done. No. So it may be, you may be Canada, not Canadian tax resident at that point in time. But then the, the case, then the cases uh, suggest that if you then start moving around and then you're not tax resident anywhere else, the CRA can take the view that, you know, they invoke what is more or less a fallback rule. If you cannot demonstrate that you're not tax resident somewhere else, you by default a tax resident in Canada. So stepping back, just uh, summarizing for your investment income, more times than not is going to be taxed at source depending on where you're investing in the world. That's the first thing. And then secondly, be wary of the CRA. Even though at the point of leaving Canada, when you first left, you fill out the, you fill out the right forms and whatever. And at that point in time, you were not tax resident. They may not deem you to be not tax resident now if you cannot demonstrate that you're a tax resident or you're properly resident somewhere else. So just a heads up. So in a situation like that, we would always advise our client, hey, pick a place, plant a flag, establish residence there. Just in case the CRA comes knocking on your door later on, you have something to show them, you have something to demonstrate. So next question. All right. Oh, someone is saying yes. U.S. charges 30% withholding on dividends. Yes. Is there any situation where I can get some of all of this back? already have a W-8 band form. Okay, so two separate questions there. So, right, so yes, the US does charge 30% FDAP withholding. So that's fixed, um, fixed something annual and periodic, I think. I don't remember what the D stands for, but there's 30% FDAP withholdings. Yes, it can be lowered. And here's the catch. If you are resident in a country with a double tax agreement 
So, it, you know, that's where, you know, that's why we say, you know, you, you need to come up with a strategy. I think gone are the days when it could just be random. You know, I feel like going here, I feel like doing this and that because the, the implications are so vast right now, given the health situation and, and whatever else we're dealing with. So the answer is normally, no, you can't get that 30% back. Yes, you can get it back if you can claim on a tax treaty. You can file a US return and claim tax treaty benefit and you may be able to get a refund. But just because let's say, for example, you have a UK passport, right? Or you have an, an Italian passport, just calling around Australian passport. I'm calling countries with a DTA, with a double tax agreement with the US, right? And listen on the, on the US website, the US IRS website. So let's say you are a citizen. That doesn't mean that you can claim, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can claim the treaty. Why? Because the treaty has a limitation of benefits clause. All treaties have an LOB, a limitation of benefits clause to prevent treaty abuse. So if it is that you are not resident in that jurisdiction in which you're gonna claim the treaty benefit, you may not be able to claim that treaty benefit and get that any portion of that 30% returned to you. So the answer is yes, but you need to be resident in a treaty jurisdiction. As a, as a to the follow-up question that you asked about the W-8 form. Okay, so the W the W series of forms, the W-8 Ben, the W-8 Ben E, the W-9s, the w, a whole bunch of w, W-8 ECIs, they're all meant to, they're not going to any tax authority. What they are, required the requirement from the financial institution that you're dealing with so that's to indemnify them should the irs come knocking on the doj the u.s department of justice comes knocking on their door and accusing them of uh, encouraging uh tax evasion or facilitating tax evasion as happened with switzerland right so that's to indemnify them that is not a tax document that's a document to as part of the record keeping or the KYC or the know your customer um, procedures of the financial institution you're dealing with. So that doesn't help your situation. What helps your situation if you wanna reduce that withholding is you need to be resident in a treaty jurisdiction. Hope that helps. Next question. I'm a Singaporean working for a US MMC. I guess you meant to say MNC, multinational company in Singapore. If I'm assigned to work in the US, will my company typically give me a pay package to compensate for the high US taxes? Well, that's up to you, sir or madam. That depends on whether you are a good negotiator or not. So this is where you put your skills to the test. It does happen. I've, obviously, we've seen it happen. And in some cases, we've helped clients put together calculations that will help them in their salary negotiations. But yeah, you can ask, you can ask and you can negotiate. So it, it's up to you, uh, it's up to you. But there's no hard and fast rule, that's, that's a company policy. There's no legal requirement for them to bump up your pay. Okay, next question. It's a long question, but I'm gonna read it for those that are on other platforms and can't read what I'm reading. So the health crisis, I can't say the word because then we get whatever. So the health crisis has meant that I'm truly roaming as my home country, the UK is in a mess, okay? That's this person's comment, that's not us, right? I've lived in 10 countries, so can I settle anywhere as a new home and move residency there? Also after Brexit, I don't, have, I don't much wanna be in the UK. I'm waiting for my Irish passport and marrying a, a Dutch person. I have many options open right now to make a change. Was thinking choosing a new base, buy property and plant a flag, as you say. Considering Malta as it's EU and great weather and seems to be a popular place to base. What do you think are certain countries more open to new tax residents? If you can pick anywhere, what would it be? And how does one go about choosing a new home? Okay. So a number of points there. So let's first talk about the UK. I haven't been in the UK for a while because of the health situation and I'm moving around. Now HMRC, if you go to HMRC's website, probably hmrc.gov.uk, 
there's a statutory residence test and you can do that yourself. You can type in whatever you can. It's a, a series of questions and answers. And then at the end, it says whether you're a tax resident or not. So that's an objective test. Now there's also another test that's not easy. It's not easy to follow like a Q and A on their website. It's the center of life test. So if it is, I know you physically have not been in the UK, but as a UK citizen moving around, is your family still there? Is your center of vital interest still in the UK? Do you have, maybe you have a, a condo or your apartment that may be empty and available for your use. Uh, maybe you're still keeping your job and working remotely for a company in London. You know, so it, it really depends whether you have severed all ties with the UK. Otherwise, HMRC can and does take the view that I know you're outside of the UK, you're living in Monaco, wherever it is you're, you're living, but you're still a UK tax resident because your, your center of life is still in the UK. So you just need to make sure that that is severed. So now going down the list, uh, you are cons you, you're waiting for an Irish passport and you're marrying someone who's a Dutch uh, citizen, right? So that of course opens up the EU. Of course, you know, we could talk about the entire world, South America, South Asia, Africa, you know, Japan, whatever, China. But if it is that you want to be in the EU, then yeah, yeah absolutely right. Uh, the Republic of Ireland is still in the EU and there still is freedom of movement. So you can technically, you have the right once you get that passport, that Irish passport, you will have the right to settle anywhere in the EU. So that can open those options. Similarly, once you marry a Dutch partner and you get Dutch residence and, you know, that gives you the opportunity to move to Holland, right? So to answer your question, all countries are in the EU, once you have that EU document or as an Irish passport, for example, you are legally entitled to freedom of movement. Although I know because of the health situation, uh, some borders have been temporarily closed and but are now reopening, which is a good thing. So just generally speaking, health crisis aside, you are entitled to move and settle anywhere. And once you settle, you go to the local tax office and you register, you get the equivalent of a local social security number, whatever they call it in that given jurisdiction and you plant your flag and you are tax resident there. Of course, some jurisdictions are more attractive than others. Uh, let's see, the Ireland has a similar scheme to uh, the UK. And actually in a few hours, we're doing a webinar on I Ireland taxes with, with my colleague in Dublin. So Ireland has an option where you can be there but that you can settle under certain circumstances, you can be taxed. Uh, you, in the UK, you call it res non-dom. You can be resident, but non-domicile. So not tax domicile. Similarly in Ireland, you can be resident, but not be tax domiciled in Ireland. And therefore the money that you earn outside of Ireland will be untaxed by, by Dublin. So that's an option. Uh, the Northern European countries don't tend to have that as far as I'm aware, not Scandinavia, not Germany but the Southern European countries do have it. So there's the NHR, non-habitual residence in Portugal. There's uh, the Beckham law in Spain. Italy has something, and I believe Malta has something as well, but it's very, very, very nuanced. So anyone who says, oh, you will live in Portugal, for example, and live tax-free, wrong. <laughs> there are lots and lots and lots of exceptions depending. So you'd want to check with, uh, a Portugal or Maltese, depending on where you, you're exploring, a tax professional, explain to them your sources of income and your situation and see whether it is to your advantage from a tax perspective. Obviously, when you're deciding on a new home, there are a lot more non-tax factors, like where does your partner want to be, where do you want to, you know, family stuff. But if it is that you're completely open to anything and it's just purely tax, then you, you do have some options. Uh, Ireland, Spain, Portugal, Malta, Italy. Uh, okay, hope that helps. Uh, moving down, I do not pass the HMRC test, so I feel a bit lost right now. So 
if you don't pass the HMRC test, whether it's the statutory residence test or the center of life test, you can work with a tax professional. And uh, if you want, you can email us, not, not me, I'm not, but I can introduce you to one of my colleagues in London and they can work you through the steps needed to properly sub a tax residence in the UK. So it's, it's fixable. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So the link for the Irish Zoom meeting, yeah, just email Hannah and Hannah will provide the, the link to the Ireland one. Okay, and I'm gonna just double check on other platforms to see any questions that may be coming in as we enter the last nine minutes or so. Okay, yep. Dealt with that. Okay, dealt with that. Okay, so that looks like it then. Oops, is it someone asking something? Okay. Seems like we are done. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us on today's live stream. It will be uh, posted in a few days on htj.tax, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on wherever you get your favorite podcast, because we put it on over 20 podcast platforms. So wherever you get your favorite podcast, look out for it. And we have enjoyed spending time with you today, and we look forward to seeing you next time upcoming events are on htj.tax. Enjoy the rest of your evening or enjoy the rest of your morning or afternoon, depending on where you are. Thank you, bye-bye. Here are four ways we can help you. Number one, sign up for free webinars on US Expat Taxes and International Entrepreneur Taxes at www.htj.tax. Number two, stream premium educational videos at www.htj.tax Number 3. Contact us for Tax Optimization Consult Offer Zoom Number 4. High Net Worth We can quote for doing your U.S. International Taxes Returns Our books and upcoming events are available at htj.tax Please subscribe, like, share, and comment below Email us at help at htj.tax to engage us to advise on international tax or business matters.